Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Today, we're talking about the difference between flexibility and mobility. This is a topic near and dear to my heart. I always have this conversation with my athletes, and it was something that I realized, hey, if I'm having it with my athletes all the time, we should probably talk about this and get it out to as many people as possible. So Alex, let's define them both. What's flexibility? Right. Flexibility is like your passive ability to achieve a range of motion, right? And what passive is like, how far can you get in the splits or like how far back can your partner push your leg, right? Like flexibility is your, your passive range of motion, but it's also like, what's the, the ultimate most flexible you can be or like, if somebody puts you in like a torture chamber, what's your biggest range of motion, right? So flexibility is almost more of a um, passive ability to achieve range of motion, right? And then we get to mobility. Mobility is more active, right? We have to have stability. It's like, how far can you get yourself into a range of motion, right? Uh, what's, what's the furthest you can lift your leg up in the splits or if you're doing a standing splits like what's the furthest you can lift right so the the passive versus active efforts in these two um, components i think really define each right well i go into it's the same way i think about like strength like strength work right we have our absolute capacity and our functional capacity that those are my lenses i look through our stretching or our flexibility so to say that is our absolute capacity how far can that joint go our functional capacity or our mobility, how far can I push that joint to go? Right. That, yeah. That's all it is. Um, and we want, obviously just like absolute capacity and functional capacity for strength and conditioning, we want our absolute capacity or flexibility to be as close to our functional capacity or our mobility as possible for every joint at all points in time. But we know that doesn't always happen. Right. And, and like, I like that parallel that you drew there, but like, and like one other way I think about it, like flexibility happens a little more like anatomically or like physiology wise, right? If I want to increase my absolute, uh, flexibility, my highest repetition, it's going to take a long time and I got to work really hard to get these, um, muscles and tendons to like gain range of motion, right? right. Mobility it doesn't come from fucking stretching for 15 seconds in <laughs> position. I can right. promise you that. Yeah. Mobility is a lot more actionable. We can work a lot more on mobility a lot quicker because it's a little bit more of a like nervous system adaptation. It's like something we can, and we'll get into how to do all this and what the working mechanisms are, but like mobility is a lot more readily accessible adaptation that we can and should be working on more um, frequently than we do to flexibility, which is a, a lot harder ask and takes a lot more time and investment. Right. And, and while both of those different aspects have their place, right? Like yeah. Alex was saying, flexibility is already really close to your ceiling because it's typically something that is driven by your anatomy, right? Yeah. Your flexibility, everybody is different. So everybody's flexibility is different, but you see that flexibility is very, very close to the mobility, flexibility ceiling. While we know if mobility is considered functional capacity, we have a lot more give Till we get to that ceiling so we can make more 
I guess, usable adaptations or more noticeable adaptations if we focus on the mobility side because it's already further away from the ceiling. So we have more of a range to get better at, right? Yeah. So, and, and why I like that and why I prefer mobility work over flexibility work for most people, um, for, for in, in most sequences is because not only can we get more of a neural benefit because we can get our brain to recognize patterns, get our, get our muscles firing with the brain, explore ranges of motion. They might not feel like they have the coolest thing for me is doing like hip switches after working with me for two months. So yeah. like those 90, 90 positions and, and rotating back and forth, that's part of something I do with every athlete to start. I want to see in this position, can they rotate their hips? Yes or no. That's part of my assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, but then doing it two months after we focus on trying to get more hip internal rotation and more lumbar stability, and then having them be able to drive their knees left and right and go up in a shin box. That's actually, that's a funny story. I think I've said it on the podcast, but before yeah, one of Adam Stewart's story, fights, yeah. Um, he, he's one of my fighters, bo- uh, heavyweight boxer. Um, he was very, very stiff when I started working with him, we started doing these hip switches, which again, are just those 90, 90 internal external rotations of the hip. Um, when he was going through it, he couldn't do a shin box, which is just hip extension from that external rotated position, essentially, mm-hmm. right? It's going up, driving your knee to the ground and lifting your ass off the ground to get a little higher, but that activates our glutes a little better. Right. Um, And before one of his fights, I knew he was ready for this, but he didn't trust it. And I'm like, Hey dude, like, let's go all the way up to a shin box. I think you got it. I think that's going to help us for this fight. And he looked at me, he's like, dude, I can't, I can't fucking do that. And like, he, he looked at me like, are you an idiot? Like, you know, I can't do that. We've tried this. And I granted this is a high risk, high reward, but I, I trusted myself. I trusted the training. I'm like, Hey, I, I promise you, you'll be able to do it. Let's fucking go. Which was the exact words I used, which. Looking back, don't promise anything to athletes ever. It's a, it's also kind of funny. It's kind of funny and nerdy that like like a mobility exercise is like your threshold for this because like you know you just think about like training montages and stuff. It's like it's always like jumping to that forty inch box or it's like making that broad jump or, or whatever. Like in your high yep. achieving yeah. things, it's like a crazy intense power exercise that you make then the gain on and like get over the hump and then you're ready for the competition. But this is happening in an mobility literally in a, in a fucking warm-up but <laughs> yeah, right. but that's cool and i'll get back to the story in a second that's cool because in athletes that are typically tighter are typically uh more power athletes more strength athletes like athletes that aren't hyper mobile like myself mm-hmm. that's where you get to see the biggest smiles because they always feel stiff they always yeah. feel tight they always feel like their joints are achy and hurting and and when they can do something that they thought they could never do because of the type of athlete they are like seeing somebody touch their toes for the first time after working on neural mobility. Like that's the coolest thing because it immediately lights them up. They're like, Oh, I feel flexible because they've been told their whole life. They could never be there. Right. And it's a, it's a, also like a kudos to Adam of like an understanding of the training process and like knowing what, what's kind of important and what, uh, what, will actually help them because like those strength and power athletes that you have, right. They're super powerful and in tight in their own right. What's going to make them more tight is this mobility, right? Like, cause we know that a good recipe for power is more range of motion, right? Mm-hmm. The more range of motion you can achieve, the more power that you can achieve. And I'm not saying that's 
hundred percent applicable, like in throwing a punch or in, in a fight per se, but the more range of motion you have access to the higher your power ceiling is, which means we can train at a higher capacity, which means we can get more power out of even those shortened shots. Right. And, and to pull it full circle. So he's, he's doing this hip switch. He finally does it. He gets up into the shin box and he looks at me. He's like, God damn. And he said, that's like, if you know, yeah, Adam, that's do. like how he says, like, he's, he's just a country dude. He's like, God damn doc. And I'm like, I told you, dude, like you've been training your ass off. Trust the training. He goes out there and knocks the fucker out. Like, that's not why I know that's not why, but it was cool to see the confidence rise up, which is the entire reason why I'm there. I haven't boxed a fucking day in my life. I don't know why I'm in this dude's corner, but I know. And, and it was at that moment, oh, I take, feel good, dude. right. That's, that's the thing. Like it, it was at that moment that I realized why he wanted me there, even though I don't, yeah. I'm a wrestler. I don't have a history of boxing. It's to warm him up and for, to elevate his confidence levels, to yeah. make him feel confident in the process and, and to go in there feeling a little bit better. Yeah. That was cool. I mean, yeah. Mobility and stability can definitely do that because, like, again, uh, this is a little bit off topic, but I think about like when you're confident in your process, like you're, you're checking all the small boxes, right? Like you're not overlooking like the warm up, or you're not overlooking like this easy exercise, quote unquote, right? Like when you're in the process and you're, you're a hundred percent, you know, bought in or in it, like each individual movement, each rep is an opportunity to practice that focus. Right. And I, we had this talk with uh, Dustin Jacoby when he was on the podcast, right? He hits his warm up, and every rep of the warm up is an opportunity to get better. Right. And if you're slacking in your intention or you're slacking in your effort, right, then that rep is missed and that's a wasted effort. Right. And so, like, like you said, doing this, even a mobility drill, right? I say even, but the mobility drill can be the important thing that puts you over the hump. Right. It gives you the confidence or like, again, it's just easy to see when somebody's fully in their process and they're taking everything into account and, and, uh, really achieving at the highest level in their process and in their training. And that's cool to see. And, and mobility drills are a really good kind of focus check, right? Yep. Like, yes, this is a mobility drill. It's not intense. It's not the the sexy Instagram training, but it's like, can you be locked in for even this? Well, that's what I know of. <laughs> That is, and this is, I guess, probably not the right way, but that's one of the markers I know where an athlete can get better. Like I know I can work with them and they're willing to learn is if they take the mobility shit seriously, Right. because even though that's not, it's not the end all be all. And I want to get into it because I think, I think nowadays people overdo mobility and the importance of mobility instead of just training to like training Yeah. and like they, they make whole sessions around mobility. And I think that's relatively useless unless you're just doing it as like a, like a chill one out of 10 session. Yeah. Like if you just want to do something to be active, cool, do place, mobility. For sure, yeah. but, um, working with the actual, like, like mobility and the mobility, like training aspect of everything. Um, I, anyways, I forgot the point we were fucking talking about. Um, talking about people overemphasizing mobility and doing like entire sessions and, and Oh no, before that, much. I know that part. Cause I was going on a tangent there. Oh, you're fine. Um, I was talking about how people being in their process and staying focused. Oh yeah. Even yeah. In so mobility reps. Yeah. So with that, like I know an athlete is willing to learn when I see them focusing on the warmups, yeah. when I see them focusing on being able to go after even the small things that's yeah. when I know somebody's going to be special. Like that's when, like I've talked about working with like Tommy, like 
that's when I knew like, oh, this kid wants to be great is that he focused extra hard on the breathing of the warmup. Like he yeah. was making me correct his breathing and that's what he was excited about. Yeah. That's when I'm like, oh, okay, this guy is willing to be great because he'll focus on the little things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's go down that rabbit hole of an overemphasis on the mobility piece. Like how consistently are you doing mobility with these guys? Like what's the, what's the emphasis when you're doing it? Are you like, um, how often are you putting that as like priority number one in a session? How often are you just like checking the box in the warm up? What's, what's, I guess your, your biggest protocol around the mobility and, and where do you see people messing it up? Well, I like to put it in three areas. Okay. I will do it in a warm up, and that's before skill or strength practice. I will do it intra set. So like almost as their rest or as a, a third exercise on a superset. Yeah. That is it's active recovery. Or I will do it as a cool down. And cool down is where I throw my flexibility training as well. Because flexibility and mobility are different. We already talked about that, but you train them differently too. Yeah. So we'll get into that. Um, as the warm-up. I've already talked about how I layer my warmups extensively, but mm-hmm. a quick and dirty version is hip mobility, typically rotation, shoulder mobility, typically rotation, trunk stability or thoracic spine mobility, or potentially both depending on the athlete. And then something that elevates heart rate and brings it together full circle. Keep it under eight minutes and you're going to train that two to three sets. Yeah. And I think uh, one other highlight to talk about in the warmup is like, it's, it's dynamic, right? Everybody mm-hmm. like gets their rocks yeah, off on this like, dynamic warmup, right? Like all that means is like, you're constantly moving through ranges of motion, right? You can quote unquote, feel a stretch and enhance your range of motion. Like, like one of my favorite is like our, uh, like quadruped thread the needles, yep. right? Where you're on your hands and knees, you reach across your body with your arm, thread the needle between your hand and knee, and then you open up to the ceiling with that same arm, kind of creating rotation of the shoulders. I like to get a little bit further every rep there, but I'm not holding and trying to reach as far as I can for two, three, four seconds. It's like a good reach and a good open. And then I'm flowing in and out of that, making sure my breath is in sync, making sure I'm I'm adding that. Again, that's just one thing that makes me feel good. So it's dynamic in a sense. I'm constantly moving. It's not dynamic in a sense that I'm like exploding into the rotation or reaching and, and punching, right? Right. So, You're not gaining my biggest every time somebody does a fucking thread the needle my biggest grievance with the exercise is people are mistaking TL junction extension for rotation. And that's, that's part of our, like our building a fighter screen. We have the sideline shoulder sweep and that's one of the boxes you check is, are they actually getting thoracic rotation or are Mm -hmm. they just dumping into excessive hyper extension of the TL junction? Right. And you see it a lot in thread the needles. hundred percent. So we're, continuously moving through this, which like, again, is your warm up through and through. And so I think that's a, that's a big piece of it is like, call it dynamic, call it whatever you want, but it's not a, a static hold and stretch. And mentally I'm getting the guys ready to go. I'm keeping them moving. I'm, I'm revving up rather than like, you know, I don't know, focusing too much on one specific area random and this is not a part of what we're talking about but i guess kind of but what's the difference in your mind between an iso hold and stretching oh man because um, aren't they the same thing it's just where you're doing the iso i yeah i think it's yeah it's exactly your position in it right it's like iso hold is within a range of motion you have full access to yeah right and then like a static stretch is 
at the edge of the barrier of where you have access to that range of motion, which we'll get into later about proper strength training through a full range of motion. Like I would argue that you, every rep in your strength training, you should feel a little stretch at the end range of motion. Right. And so a really correctly done isometric hold is kind of at your end range of range of motion. Bingo. But, um, I think a lot of people don't get there. Like they'll get into like a pull up 90 degree ISO hold, which is not like changing range of motion or, or we get into a split split squats, like probably the number one example of this. Like people go down into their split squat within like a fully capable range of motion at like your 90 degree knee bend and your 90 degree hip bend. Right. And like, okay, you're just training a known range of motion and making it stronger. We're not really like making gains where a good split squat is like, we have the right, um, foot length and width relationship where we've got a little forward lean going on and you feel a slight hip flexor stretch in your back leg. Right. And then yeah, or you, we're holding, or you elevate the front foot or something. Like sure. That. Yeah, yeah. 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 You can, um, progress it different ways, but then you're holding that end range isometric at a challenging range of motion where you're feeling a little bit of stretch. You're also like deep into, um, your glutes and your quads versus just like holding yourself up with your quad. Right. So, right. But my thing is like, cause so many people it's, it is so frowned upon to do flexibility training prior to workouts for good measures. Right. Right. But how many of those people that harp on, you should never stretch in your warm up, also throw fucking ISOs into the warm up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, like they're, they're relatively the same thing. It's yeah. just how you're carrying the load and what the purpose is. Right. But if we're being honest to what they are, right. I would argue that if we're not doing flex, if we're not stretching in a warm up, I wouldn't do a whole bunch of ISOs in your warm up either. Right. You get into some like conflicting values there, or some like um, I don't know, if, like confounding variables is the right thing. But like you know, your your stretch, static stretching is like inhibitory towards muscle function. Like mm-hmm. that's the yeah, biggest that's reason. Every piece of research has showed it. Right, and that's the biggest yeah. reason we don't do it in the warm up or like prior to exercise. And I would even you know, you know further this kind of contradiction into our intraset mobility. Right. Whenever we do our intraset mobility in our strength training, like we do a one, a two, our strength movements, our contrast movements geared towards one muscle group. And then when we do the intraset mobility, I don't want to stretch that same muscle group. No. Right. When we're doing that most, it's like, um, inhib- inhibiting the working muscle. Right. And so like stretching and activating work against each other. Right. Right. So my, my, my favorite example of this is I've, which I've seen on countless online programs are like, you'll do a deadlift mixed with a single leg RDL. And then you go immediately into like a fucking pigeon hold. And I'm like, like what? It it doesn't make sense to me. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like your your glutes are your primary mover in your, your deadlift. You use your assistant exercise with the single leg hamstring, and then we're going to lengthen and release the tension on both of those in the pigeonhole. It's like, okay, we're going to make you worse at this exercise. So we have to reactivate again and then get worse at the exercise and reactivate it. It's like, how would, how would you fix it? Uh, I would, I mean, you throw something complimentary into your mobility drill. So if you're doing a, a trap bar deadlift, single leg RDL, then maybe we're going to work on some shoulder mobility or some trunk stability. That's probably where I, that's always where I go. That's right. My favorite you know, superset or intercept mobility is a dead bug breathing paired with a trap bar deadlift, right? We're, we're training the accessory movement to the trap bar deadlift, or I go like straight arm lat pull downs with a trap bar deadlift. It's like, how can we assist this trap bar deadlift movement and get better at that through our 
you know, quote unquote mobility work. So we're, we're killing two birds with one stone, right? We're getting more efficient in our workout and with our time in our workout. And so that's, that's almost my teaching progressions now. Like my intros to a trap bar. If I'm teaching somebody how to do a trap bar deadlift the whole time, like I'm going to give them a 10 second spiel and then we're on the trap bar, right? Because I'm not, you know, I can't write an essay on a trap bar deadlift and then they'll just do it well. Right. right. We're going to learn in the process. I'm starting at a lighter weight. We'll get them the basics. We'll see what kind of errors they make. And then our assistance exercises are geared towards getting better at the trap bar deadlift. Right. And, and mobility and stability are almost always areas that are lacking in our right. strength work. Well, it's cool because the athlete feels it too. Like, like yeah. I, it, it drives buy-in. And again, I always say it, I know Alex hates that word, but yeah. it does. It drives their ability to understand the movement better. Because well, if we're doing like a kettlebell deadlift yeah. for, or sorry, a kettlebell uh, dead bug paired with my trap bar deadlift, mm-hmm. I can teach them about positioning. I'll teach them the position in the trap bar. And then I can yeah. quickly relate that exact same canister position in a challenging way that isolates that variable. Well, I had a really good example of this. Like I, I have an athlete that's been training with me for a decently long time. And like we, we've done the trap bar a million and a half times. Right. And he knows exactly what I'm asking for on like, when I say pack your lats, when I say, you know, create tension through your um, shoulders and, and pulling him down and he did it fine. And he was pretty strong and he was moving a lot of weight. And then one day for whatever reason, I varied up his bear crawl and I was like, all right, you're going to hold the bear position and I'm going to try and move you. And when I try and move you, you have to resist my movement or whatever. And so I was kind of moving around and then it was one specific point. I grabbed like into his arm hits. I call them like the meat hooks from like a front head and wrestling. And I pulled him forward and I was trying to get him to like go head over his shoulders. Right. And so he had to lock down and kind of sit back against it. And he's like, that movement right there made me pack my shoulders better than anything we've ever done. And now I get it. And then he applied it on the trap bar. And now we've like learned. Right. And so like that's a cool place where your interest set mobility and stability help with your strength training, which again, I think people strength train wrong too. And I think we can go down that rabbit hole next, but be effective with these places you're putting mobility. It's not just like, uh, he sucks at T-spine rotation. Let's put that wherever we can, or like this person needs ankle stability. So we'll put that in our like single leg complex. It's like, Maybe not. Maybe have a little more intention and and know where these things go. Well, it, I mean, again, Lisa, we could talk about that, but that that comes down to taking the time to program up good programs, right? Yeah. You the, doing the bear crawl movements that that essentially like a an overloaded ISO is really what that is. Yeah. But it gamifies the pattern. It increases cognition in that trunk stability, and it also allows that athlete to enjoy what's going on in between the sets while they're doing active recovery. So it accomplishes three layers of why right there. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So you're answering a lot more questions. And I think, again, we can be more thoughtful with our strength conditioning programs, answer more questions, like two quotes that I almost think about every session. And I know myself with them. The first one is good training should be corrective in nature, right? Like we're not doing a trap bar deadlift just to increase the absolute maximum similar to we're not just like stretching to increase our flexibility. We're doing a trap bar deadlift to gain access to more core stability, to more breathing exercise, to more activation through our lats and and things like this. Right. And then, or we're doing a split squat to increase the hip extension on the back leg, just as much as we're trying to increase strength in the front leg. Right. Like, so it's like, with those exercises or what we're doing, let's correct movement as we go. And then that's how you 
That's how you truly get to this unconscious competence that we talk about, right? If I'm doing every rep on my landmine press really well with good shoulder blade mobility, then it's going to translate more. And now I don't even think about it when I'm throwing my punches, right? And so that's one of the biggest things like is good strength training is corrective in nature. And then the other thing is my athletes should feel better walking out than when they walk in, right? And I, I can't tell you how many countless strength coaches I see like, yeah, they push really hard. They have intense sessions and, and your athletes pushing their ceilings and quote unquote getting better, but they're absolutely fucking demolished when they leave. Mm-hmm. Right. And not demolished in a good way. Like feeling better has multiple interpretations. That doesn't mean you're not tired. What that means is that you can actually move and you feel like you, you, you got more efficient in that session versus like, oh, I fucking hit a PR on my deadlift, but my back hurts now. Right. You got to right. feel better when you walk out. Yeah. You're, you feel accomplished. Like, yeah. I, fe- I feel like that, that statement of like, you got to leave better than when you walked out. Everybody's like, Oh, that just, that leads to under training. It leads to under training. That doesn't mean that they aren't working their ass off. Yeah, right. We're not talking about from a energy level standpoint, right? Yeah. They still need to train hard, but yeah. they should feel like the, that time that they spent, the energy they spent was worth it. And that yeah. mental benefit outweighs the physical depletion that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, but Alex is hitting the nail on the head. Like most of mobility we can get into, I said, we'll hit it later. Here's later. Yeah. Most of mobility, uh, can be accomplished through proper lifting. Right. Yeah. If I'm teaching somebody a squat, maybe their ankles are, are extremely rigid and we have to heel elevate as they go through the squat. Right. But I'm always working to try to bring that heel ramp down. Maybe I'll start them at a 15 degree uh, heel ramp. Then I'll knock them down to a 10. And as long as that doesn't change up the form a whole bunch, then we can knock them down to a five or maybe just a little bit, a little like change plate underneath their heels. Right. Yeah. There, there was a funny post um, by William Wayland um, who does powering through over in the UK. Uh, I think he trains Arnold Allen. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 45er. Yeah. Anyway, he put, he's like, he's he's on his Instagram story. He's like, swipe for my favorite ankle, knee, hip, and thoracic mobility exercise. And then the next slide is him at the bottom of a front squat. Yeah. You know, like it's, and what's cool is like, that is going to make your brain understand body organization and and the mobility that it needs Mm -hmm. in that position because the high load, the high load is going to increase the the brain's awareness of the area. As soon as that brain is aware of the area, it's going to unlock that mobility level. Cause like, I like to think of mobility kind of like, it's like a video game. As your brain becomes more aware, you get to the next level of the game. As your brain becomes more aware, you get to the next level of the game. There's always an end to the game. There's a ceiling that you're going to hit that you can't go past that, but you're going to be able to keep unlocking achievements. And most of the highest level achievements are unlocked with just lifting and being heavy in good ranges. Right. But I think that that's a, uh, there's like one hole in that analogy is that people, can skip levels in this video game, right? Like that, that, yeah. that's the biggest trope that I see in the strength training community is like, okay, there's a limitation there, but squat ass to grass anyway, because that's my principle, right? right? Like, like I know for me personally, like if I'm doing a back squat, right, I can get ass to grass. I can achieve that range of motion, mostly with like a heel lift. But when I don't, when I really truly focus and think about having my correct alignment, not getting into my open scissor position and everything, it's my adductors and my hips that limit me. Right. That's where I like, if I have as best of an anatomical 
alignment that I can. I go into a squat. I probably, before even I get to like 90 degree knee bend, I start to feel my adductors and my hips stretch, right? That's my end range of motion, right? I can blast past that and get stronger, right? But then I'm not truly moving through the exercise and like playing that mobility video game and, and getting to the ceiling. I'm just bypassing that level and I'll do as best I can without that skill, which leads to injury down the road. Right. But this video game's like Skyrim, homie. Like you find out real <laughs> quick. It's, R- once- it's an RPG. Exactly. It, it's an RPG, right? Or like the the popular one now is the Harry Potter game, which I downloaded and I'm halfway through. Nice. Um, if you get to 75% completion and you didn't learn one of the spells that you had to learn or you didn't learn one of the skills to get you to 80%, yeah. then you got to go all the way the fuck back <laughs> and <laughs> still cover it, right? Not and you find efficient. that out. It, it's All it is is it's an RPG because like you can get to that 80%. But the thing that's limiting you is the basics of adductor lengthening and being able to understand tension relations in the frontal plane, which is why your adductor is getting tight uh, while you're doing a squat, right? It's Mm -hmm. the constant battle between adductor and hip or and glute, adductor and glute to control that area. Um, But if you don't learn that later, you're, you're not going to progress, yeah. <laughs> right? You, you get stuck at that level of the video game until you figure out what the fault is, go back and fix it. And then you can progress forward. Right. And, and like our biggest argument right here is like, there's a way to do that more efficiently, right? 100%. Like, like yeah. it, don't bypass it just for the gains we can have now. Take the time to flesh that out, even though you're lifting lighter weights and you're being quote unquote soft, right? That's the biggest fucking crux of the industry is like, oh, but then we're not getting to our absolute outputs. It's like you have a higher ceiling if you do this efficiently now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's, that's one of the hardest things is like people want to jump straight to the, the immediate reward, the pleasure of, okay, I lifted a lot of weight, but it's like, well, let's uh, like, and that leads to a lot of strength coaches. And I feel this way. I'm sure a lot of them do. It's like, whenever we start a program, it's like, fuck, I got to start from ground zero again. Right. But you do, unless you're super consistent and disciplined in it. So, um, yeah, be more efficient in your strength training protocols that will lead you to a better answer and a better reward in that video game down the line versus skipping and having to go back and then skipping and then going back and then skipping and going back. Right. And and then like moving to where do we throw flexibility training in? Because this whole time we've been talking about mobility. I can talk about mobility for fucking days. Yeah, right. But like. Where do we throw the flexibility in, Alex? Well, I think that's, yeah, that's post-exercise. That's the end of the session. That's when your body's like warm and um, already ready to access some of your end ranges of motion. Mm-hmm. Or again, that's a session on its own, right? Because I, we can't lie and say you can't make any gains in flexibility. And I'd be lying too if I say a lot of athletes don't like derive value from it. I know a lot right. of athletes to say, well, I have to hit my, da- my static stretching or else I'm going to lose the ability to throw my high kick, right? And so put that after your workout, after your practice, after your whatever, and then, or put it on your off day, put it on your, your day of recovery. And then you can hold your stretches for as long as you want, right? You You can tolerate as much discomfort as you want because (laughs) that shit hurts. (laughs) Yep. And like, I like to, I, I personally think most of the benefits of static stretching comes from your ability to pull yourself out of that fight or flight because you have to yeah. focus on something and you have to f- control your breath. And when you're getting to end range, it is a little bit uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you're trying to be as comfortable in that position when you're forcing your physical or physical <laughs> body to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that's where you get into certain types of yoga, right? Like 
I think what's popular now is like the vinyasa power flows or whatever. And that's not what we're talking about here. Um, like it's like yin yoga where you get into your, your deep stretch and then you breathe through it and hold the pose for three to five minutes or whatever. Right. That's where I think yoga can be a really good benefit. Not necessarily your hot box and sweat your ass off yoga, which does has other benefits, but is not flexibility training. Right. Exactly. So it's all about trying to drop the heart rate, try to get you out of your like fight or flight tendencies and just breathe to breathe. I I think that's what most of the benefits of flexibility training come from. So why we can do that, or I would throw that in, like Alex said, the cool down or in a separate session, even if you do assisted stretching, I know there's a bunch of assisted stretching places. Mm -hmm. Um, while it will not fix everything and please like i say it almost every fucking podcast if you have hamstring tension your hamstrings probably don't need to be stretched i hate to break it to you yeah like do some extension it's probably your back so it's not a fix all it's just a tool in the toolbox but it can help so throwing in an assisted stretching or throwing in a stretching session later in your week that's its own separate thing on a recovery day that's where i would throw it i think it's best there right yeah and i think Again, these like assisted stretches and the, the ISO stretches, like they make you feel good. They they absolutely yeah. do. And I think it's uh it's worth realizing where they fit into the process and, and having a realistic understanding of like uh, every time I foam foam roll, this feels good and I can accomplish this strange motion. Okay, that's great. But that's like treating the symptom, not the cause, and you're getting a temporary mm-hmm. benefit. It's the same thing with like assisted stretching. You're you're treating a little bit of the symptom and not the cause, and then you're feeling good momentarily. Right. But the, the long-term gains, the, the groundwork that's going to be done is more into this like correct strength training and and breathing and stability work, which we haven't really defined stability, but stability is, is part of the equation for mobility. We talked about active, actively holding your mobility, active positions, that active part, all that is the stability is like, how grounded are you in order to achieve this range of motion? And so mobility, stability go hand in hand. Um, where the flexibility, I, I would argue part of mobility is stability. It's, That's what I, th- I think the, the <laughs> different, the main difference, if we have to like try, cause there's no real good, um, uh, essentially definition of mobility, stability, right. Yeah. Or mobility, flexibility. Yeah. It's mostly just strength coaches saying what they want about the topic right. <laughs> or, or Kairos or, or PTs, right? It it's, goes in the same bucket as conditioning. It's like, what does that mean? Exactly. But I think a part of mobility is being stable at that as close to end range as possible. Right. So mobility training and stability training obviously have a natural hand in hand, um, relationship because stability goes into mobility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So stability is a huge part of that. And then we can train stability a bunch of different ways. Those are good. Like we were talking about the kettlebell dog bug interest set strength training things, but Austin, I want to get your opinion on kind of two places. Uh, What are three of your best like MMA go-to dynamic warm-up mobility movements? Okay. And then three of your best go-to like cool down static stretching go-to mobility movements. Okay. Um, I will say let's go warm-ups first. My favorite warm-up for the let's start. Let's go hip, spine, and shoulder. Yeah. Um, my favorite mobility exercise for the hip is going to be a hip switch to shin box. The thing yeah. I, I referenced with Alex yeah. or, uh, with Adam, I think that is a really good indicator of how mobile can your hips get 
Um, and, and it's a little bit more sports specific cause it's in the rotation vector and most of hip movement in MMA is going to be sagittal. rotation yeah. or well, most hip mobility drills are in the sagittal. Right. Right. Um, and then it also allows you to see for the next part, which is going to be the spine, um, how stable is the trunk because are they cheating through the lumbar spine to accomplish that rotation task? Because athletes are always going to accomplish what you ask them to. They just might not do it in an efficient manner, which is the whole point of mobility training. Um, So they move into the trunk after the hips. Then I, I really like, it's hard to pick one. I would say a low bear, a low bear uh, shoulder tap or a low bear crawl is probably my favorite um, because I get to see the, the stability in a little bit more of a challenge as opposed to a dead bug, um, which is a little bit more ice isolated. Yeah. And then, and I would do that. So sets and reps of everything would be eight to 12 for two sets through. Um, and the last one for the shoulder, I really like a prone swimmer. I don't know many things that are going to be better than a prone swimmer to get rotation of the shoulder. Um, but if the athlete can't accomplish a, pr- a full prone swimmer, which you're laying face down and you're just looking like you're swimming, yeah. right? Um, prone swimmer. Uh, but if they can't accomplish that task, then I would throw them into a sideline shoulder sweep so that we're yeah. getting some sort of rotation. And we also know that if they can't get to a prone swimmer position, most of the time it's because their T-spine doesn't move well. So that'll get rotation through the T-spine as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I like that a lot. And like, I guess one question I have based off of that is we talked about a little bit more stability on the spinal side. How do you get mobility out of your spine as like somebody like, again, I'm thinking like somebody like a grappler, like me, mm-hmm. that says like, oh man, my low back's always tight. My spine is like immobile. Right. And so like the prone swimmer is going to help with some of the T-spine, but like, you know, how do I quote unquote stretch out my lower back? That's in my cool down, homie. Okay. Right. Uh, so yeah, segue, so cool. you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so if I don't throw this intra set, which what we're talking about, it is always going to be in, especially my grapplers, but all combat athletes cool down that I recommend of them is a prone press up. Yeah. It is essentially it's a movement that's it's like a it's actually a cobra from yoga but we're doing it repetitively and not for a hold. Um we're repping out th- 2 to 3 sets of 10 to 15 reps and you're just pushing up going into that cobra position just using your triceps. The biggest fault I see are people are not just triceps but arms. The biggest fault I see are that people are using their low back and their glutes to accomplish this task because they don't know how to relax that area. This is all about passive extension of the low back. And the reason being is because it takes pressure off of the spinal column. It puts pressure into that disc plane, which allows us if there is any disc irritation to desensitize that area. And so I know that'll hit some hamstring relaxation too. But again, I'm an athlete. My hamstrings are super tight all the time. What do I do? Well, this is really well. This <laughs> it's controversial too, without getting too doctor about it. <laughs> yeah, without without going down the rabbit hole of the fact that your hamstrings aren't tight because they're shortened, it's tight because they're lengthened. Um, I would actually throw them into a breathing drill, which is yep. the next part of my cool down, anyways. So good mm-hmm. leading again. Um, I I like to do a ninety ninety feet elevated on a wall breathing drill that sets their pelvis into a neutral position and forces them to stabilize using their breath, but also 
if you're doing proper breathing, it's expansion based, right? As we expand through tissue and we cause it to do stretching over and over again, it accomplishes two birds with one stone, where if you're breathing correctly in a 360 degree manner, it's causing a stretch on all of the trunk muscles in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's just not a full end range stretch. Right. Gotcha. Um, yeah. It doesn't but, feel like a typical stretch. does it? Right. But it's also increasing stability because again, proper 360 degree breathing is an eccentric contraction of our transverse abdominus. Right. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it is that, so it's accomplishing the task of we're stabilizing the spine in the strongest contraction we possibly can. Cause we know an eccentric contraction is going to be the strongest contraction we can generate. Right. Gotcha. So it's that 90, 90 breathing is fantastic. It does those two things I talked about, but it also has been proven as the higher diaphragm activation, which is the only way to accomplish this task is to increase diaphragm activation. The faster we pull ourselves out of that flight or flight tendencies. So it accomplishes the relaxation effect as well of one of my goals on every practice is trying to leave at the same heart rate that you walked in at. Nice. Okay. Last one that's kind of unrelated. Um, but it is really uh, prevalent in the MMA population. My neck and traps are always sore and tight. Gotcha. What do I do? How do I stretch that? So without going down the neurodynamics rabbit hole, um, which is another podcast in and of itself that we're going to do is just the impact of neurodynamics on MMA and why y'all need to be mobilizing your nerves a little bit better. But I would say if we're sticking in a mechanical model and not just focus on discs and nerves, I would do a neck car or a controlled articular rotation. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time that clears up a lot of the mobility deficits um, because we can be a little bit more targeted and all a neck car is it's just a big circle, right? It's a controlled articular rotation. What that means is I'm controlling the joint through the range of motion that I'm trying to impart upon it, right? Which is rotation yeah. because rotation is going to clear up most movement faults in, in most joints. Right. Great. Um, so as we're going through that neck car, we're doing that two to three sets of, of, I mean, I'd start with like six each way. Cause it's a longer exercise and yeah. then bump up to 10. Um, but we can also isolate different segments or as be as segmental as possible, or we can make it a global pattern where we're just going for as big of a neck circle as possible. So that's why right. I like that exercise. Cause there's so many different build your own journeys to mm -hmm. getting and restoring neck function again. Yeah. 100%. So yeah, I think that's a really good like summary of like just three really like basic or, or prevalent examples to I have this problem due to my training. How do I kind of address it or, or what's a, a surface level thing that will be better than just like cracking my neck or pulling my neck frequently side to side or my hamstrings are tight. So I'm going to spend 20 minutes spending stretching my hamstrings, right? So a um, little deeper level thought there with some of your live examples, but I mean, I think we hit the whole gambit here going through like what's mobility to flexibility, where's the best place and timing to train it, um, what's some common mistakes in the industry or, or amongst athletes. And then we really dove into kind of some rabbit holes of like how to properly go through our progressions and, and get more mobile, not just more flexible, um, I think, in the whole podcast here. I think that's a pretty damn good uh, TLDR summary there. 
Bang, bang. So if you guys got to get in touch with us, all of our info is in the show notes, Instagrams, emails, the whole nine yards. The only thing we're not giving you is our phone numbers. Don't call us. <laughs> call us, <laughs> please. His number is. <laughs> um, if you're looking for any sort of strength and conditioning programming, whether you're an individual, whether you're a team, whether you're a gym that wants to start making money on that dusty ass weight room you have in the back that you don't know how to program for or just don't have the time to program for. We have options available for all of you. That's going to be at buildingafighter.com. And you can also get in touch with us about custom options through the emails or Instagrams that have been linked. As always, this is Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And we are out.